0: Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder.
1: And here there is something more than just a transient
0: experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. When you start getting the big titles and the nice accolades, at first it feels great. But it's easy to get caught up in those externals, the things that impress people but don't ultimately make you any better at what you're giving back to the world. When you chase that kind of stuff, it eventually becomes an addiction. I thought again of those messages that attack women, from both within and without. That whisper that we shouldn't pursue our dreams because we're not talented enough, or we're too old or too young, or we don't have the perfect lives for it. It occurred to me now that when we let resistance hold us back, we're not the only ones who suffer. Other people lose out too. Hello and welcome to Born of Wonder. I'm Katie Marquette, and on this podcast we explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. I started today's podcast with two quotes from Jen Fullweiler. Um That's from her book, One Beautiful Dream. Uh, she's a Catholic comedian and author, podcast host. I really love her podcast. And uh, she has written about this concept a lot about a blue flame, which is sort of like that unique thing about you that uh that you have to give back to the world and sometimes it corresponds to what you do professionally but uh not always um this is the sort of thing that you stay up late doing and other people can't imagine why you would do that (laughs) um the thing that you are giving all your extra time and energy to the thing that you are thinking about um when when you're not busy doing other things um when when you finally get a break with the kids or something your mind starts thinking about this that that could be an indication of your blue flame. And I I really love this concept and I love it because it's all about how we need to discover our passions uh, in order to be fulfilled people, but also in order to sort of let us live into um, who we are supposed to be, you know. Saint Catherine of Siena said, "Be who are you who you are supposed to be. Be who God wants you to be, and you will set the world on fire." And I really believe that. And it sounds so grandiose to say that, but it can be in something that seems small but uh, could be so life-giving uh, for you, for your family, for your friends, for your community. And and that's so important to realize that. So that's what today's conversation is really going to be all about. Uh, I invited my friend Rachel Remes onto the podcast. She has a great substack called Can't Help But Cook. She's just a wonderful person. Uh, I met her when we were both living in Baltimore. She's since um, moved to New York City. But uh, we've stayed in touch and I've been following along uh, with her life as she has welcomed three kids and has found her passion um, or rather rediscovered it and embraced it so um her little our little introduction here is she rachel remis is a recovering academic and passionate at-home chef she lives at home in new york city with her husband and three young children uh, she's been cooking avidly for as long as she can remember it wasn't until october 2023 that she launched her substack can't help but cook and her goal with this substack is to reignite an appreciation for at-home cooking by learning the fundamentals all while teaching her readers how to correctly salt meat oh i need help with that poach fish also need help with that <laughs> along the way uh rachel who earned a master's in art history views cooking as a creative art form that adds beauty and meaning to our lives in the same way as a good book or a stunning painting readers of her Substack can enjoy her two published cookbook reviews and an aside these cookbook reviews are cookbook reviews are epic you want to read them um they're so good Um, Additionally, they can anticipate more reviews this year, along with theoretical dinner guest conversations, including one with writer-director Greta Gerwig and another with the 20th century Norwegian novelist Sigrid Unset. Wow, I'm excited for those last two. Two of my favorite people, Greta Gerwig and Sigrid Unset. That's amazing. Um, So... I can't wait for you to to hear from Rachel. Uh, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to lo- learn a lot about cooking and food, and she's going to give you some great tips for cooking. Uh, you know, quality meals and. Uh, In whatever season of life you're in, if you're in a crazy season with kids, if you're if you're single and working a lot, if you, you know, everybody is in a different situation. But um, as she says, food is something we need every day and we might as well do it right. (laughs) And uh, her passion for it is just contagious. Um, I think that you'll you'll really get a lot out of her. Her sort of journey uh, to to embracing this passion of hers and that uh, really the second half of our conversation is broader than cooking we talk about her leaving academia um, and sort of how we both of us had different points had sort of crises about what are we supposed to do how are we supposed to uh, establish um, a, a life that that honors our abilities and our passions amidst uh, you know, caring for and prioritizing uh, small, the small children that we have been given to raise and uh, the chaos of family life, how to do that. So uh, we also talk a lot about authenticity, about motivations, about the trial of uh, social media and the attention economy. We, we get into a lot of stuff. So I'll stop rambling about it and just let you listen to it. So <laughs> I really hope that you enjoy this interview with Rachel Remes. It was a delight to have her on and I can't wait to introduce her to you. So today on the podcast, I am so thrilled to be joined by my friend, Rachel Remis. We met, oh my goodness, like five or five or six years ago now. Is that long ago? 2018. 2018? That was a while ago. ago. So yeah. we met and we were both going to the Baltimore Basilica. We ended up both leading Blessed Is She Bible studies. I don't know how we both got roped into that. I think I had just converted and my priest was like, great, she's eager to go. let's, (laughs) Let's make her a leader of a group. So that was exciting. But we started talking and I just immediately knew she was like a super cool person. So I like stalked her and like tried to get her to have dinner with me. And she did. And then we became friends and have been chatting ever since. And since then, lots has happened. We've both had kids. I have two little ones and Rachel has three little ones who... Until recently, you could say three under two, which is a pretty cool thing to say.
1: Yeah, now I say three, Three, two, two and under. under. Yeah, okay. So that's that's still going
0: to turn some heads. So that's pretty exciting. But I (laughs) wanted to have Rachel on for so many reasons. There's so much to talk about, but mostly because she just launched an amazing new substack called Can't Help But Cook, and it's all about her passion for cooking, which is a somewhat foreign concept for me, but uh, I'm inspired by it. I have been cooking more because I read Rachel Substack. I have instilled a family dinner time because I read Rachel Substack. So I think you all are going to um, get a lot out of learning more about pursuing our passions and she's going to give us some great cooking tips as well. So Rachel, thank you so much for chatting with me.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me on. I was thinking about when we first met earlier today, and I will never forget as long as I live, like sitting at that table in the restaurant, the first time we went out to dinner, and then like, we are like, oh, when did you get married? <laughs> That's right. And you're like, oh, 2016. And then like slowly realize we got married on the exact same day, I think like hours <laughs> apart. It's like, oh my gosh, we're, we're meant yeah, to be. But it was clearly Christmas. Every time on my anniversary, I'm like, I gotta text Katie, happy anniversary. <laughs> you, know, you guys
0: are probably like the only other couple I'm like actually really good at remembering their anniversary because it's exactly <laughs> yeah. the same. So, yeah, that's so crazy. So, Rachel, did you, I don't know if we ever, like in all of our many discussions that we had, I don't know if we ever really talked about cooking much. Was this something that you were doing when we were living in Baltimore? Were you like cooking away in your apartment? Had this secret like underground (laughs) life as a chef that I didn't know about what was going on?
1: (laughs) I definitely, no, I definitely cooked a lot in Baltimore. And I, honestly, one of the reasons I love living in Baltimore was the food scene was really good. I've always been into cooking. I don't know if I always thought of it as something other than just like what I did. I think as I got older, especially after I got married, I realized like, oh, this is something that I really like to do. I wasn't very good at many of the other sort of like wife things or like household, not even like the only wife things, but like I'm not very good at cleaning organization. Like all of these things I got married, I was like, I don't bring much to the table, but I am like, I can cook. So yeah, I think I was, again, I was always really... Just my mom cooked a lot. She, my mom was always making new recipes. I like projects. Like I like things that have a definitive end. I'm like super motivated by anything where are like, okay, I know exactly where I need to get. Here are the steps to get there. And cooking is just a very naturally, like that is what cooking is. So if you're following recipes, which I do and you have to do it every day. So I was like, yeah, well, if I'm motivated to do this, it, like it just always worked. Yeah. Ever since I was a little girl, I like my earliest memories are like making mac and craft ch- mac and cheese and lots of chocolate chip cookies. So I think I've always just, even like honestly at my wedding, my dad, the toast that he gave, he like went through a really sweet list of things that he loved about me. And one of them was that I love to cook. So I think that's just always, yeah, been there as part of what I do. But I don't, again, I don't know if I would have like talked about it. I don't know if like, I had thought about it in the way I'm thinking about it now.
0: So. I know that's a big part of your substack is like claiming this passion you know as something that is not just something you do but that is something that is truly life-giving and it's worth pursuing in a very in like a meaningful way not just like oh i like to cook but that this is something serious for you a big passion for you and we can talk more generally about discovering our passions generally but what is it about food in particular and especially for those of us who you know maybe we like to cook we like to do a recipe now and then but we aren't you know, we didn't have that. We don't have that passion that you have. What is it about food and making food for other people that you find so inspiring and life-giving?
1: Yeah, I think, I feel like I think of it in both grandiose terms. And then also I try to think of it in practical terms. I think like we have to eat every day. And so, and I think for me, it's like, if I have to do this thing to live, I might as well do it well. I think that's just, I feel like there's something about like taking care of ourselves and feeding ourselves well that is I think just inherently meaningful. I feel better when I'm like eating food that I cook versus maybe frozen food or takeout. Although do we do have really good takeout here in New York. So not to like I generally feel like the more effort I put into something making something like with whole foods is I just a good way to nourish myself and my family. I I find a lot of meaning in that. I also think that it's like a byproduct or I, or more like maybe a means to an end is that it gathers people around. I think there's something that's The connection aspect of food, I think I've always been, I've always been very aware of that. I don't know if I've, again, I've been putting it into words that I am now, but growing up eating dinners around the dinner table was pretty common. Even when things got busy and we were playing sports, like family dinner was a pretty regular thing. I think now that we have kids, it's finding that rhythm ourselves. And so I think those are like the grand ways I think about food, again, as something substantial and important in its own right. And then also, again, as like this means to an end, having people over, I think it's a great way to like mm-hmm. meet new people or like, when you have when you move somewhere, and you're like, oh, I got to meet a bunch of people like here in New York, when we first moved here, let's well, just have yeah. people over for dinner. And so it works that way, too. I feel like a lot of my even like meeting you the first time you're not to dinner, I think a lot of my like good, fun memories with friends are always around mm-hmm. a dinner table.
0: I think what you're pointing at is that like that these mundane things and that's the goal of this podcast right is that mundane things can be grandiose things when we look at them through a certain lens and so acknowledging that like food is like a biological necessity we need to eat but also it plays into just this part of being human and uh, eating around a dinner table and I know you you discovered a lot of your love for really certain types of food and in Italy right what a Place to discover amazing food. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what was so exciting to you about the food that you were eating in Italy?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. Um, So many things. I think one, I think I started to appreciate food quality in Italy, and also like how it can be done simply. And you know, I wrote a little bit about this, but I went there the first time I went there. I was a, I was in between my junior and senior in college, and like even just something as simple as like a pizza with like marinara. I mean, like tomato sauce not, not marinara, and um, cheese. Like it was like just done so well. And I can also feel like a passion that these smaller mom and pop restaurants just had for what they were doing. And I found that to be very inspiring. I think it just like, it, again, like it was like, you have a chef working at a restaurant and he would get really excited mm-hmm. to explaining the food to me. And he would like walk you through the dough. And like, this is why is important that they do things this way. And they only use fresh tomatoes. And you could just sense like a passion and then you, I would, I would like this tastes like the best thing I've ever eaten mm. in my life. And so I think just one, again, like the quality of food, it just, it tastes yeah, so good. really good. I never had. Yeah. I think I've been to Italy. Like I do have this kind of obsession with European food culture and I don't think it's without merit. I do think there's something to how different countries over there, like they slow down and they eat. And so it's like a calmer experience. It's again, it's a sort of more community-based experience, but I do think it's, again, it's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, when you put a lot of effort into something or not even like effort into the food doesn't have to be a complex recipe, but you really focus on the ingredients, then all of a sudden, I think that just naturally means people want to join in and they appreciate it more. And it just there's a sort of domino effect. I just I honestly spent more time eating there than I think I did anything else. I I remember this biscotti Mm -hmm. that I got, I I actually went back another time, like tried to find this like bakery that made this specific biscotti. It's still it's like the best thing, one of the best things I've ever eaten. And I like, couldn't find it again because it's like this small little mom and pop shop. It really like opened my eyes to, I think, food more as a way of life in the sense that it clearly permeated more of their lives, or that was my sense, with someone in my early 20s than it did here in the US. And that definitely left... A pretty strong impression on me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I could go on. I like remember oh. the gelato place I went to, and they're like, "We have, we take our gelato very seriously." Like,
0: <laughs> I'm okay. here for it. I'm, <laughs> so ser- I'm seriously here to eat it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I know.
0: Oh my gosh! Like when I eat pasta here in the U.S., it's like not. It is what it is, but pasta, in Italy, so the ingredients they use is so. I don't know. So fresh. It's it's a totally different experience. So yeah, I think just literally on just a quality of the food level, it's just. Different, amazing, but yeah, the culture, the food culture, is so different to what we have here in the U.S., where everything is like rushed and squeezed in between uh, activities and things like that. I think the meal is always viewed as a means to an end. Like we have to eat, so just let's, let's like get something on the table, get the kids fed, let's go. And I can definitely be yeah. guilty of this. I'll just be like, okay, something we we got to eat. Like we got to just. Make this happen. So, you're as busy as any of us. Tell us more about your life. You're in New York City. You have three little kids. You're cooking in, I wrote it down, with a 79 square foot kitchen. Okay. And you're making it work, <laughs> doing family dinners. How are you doing it? And what are your tips for us not to fall into frantic American style eating?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I like I have to give credit where credit is due, just to say that I do have some help. I have some babysitters, like I have two great babysitters, and they do. I have them two days a week. And so on those nights, I'll definitely like, okay, let's plan something that's a little more complex, which isn't to say that the other nights aren't crazy or that those nights aren't crazy, but I just, I feel like they do to get a shout out. And then my husband right now works from home full time, but he will be going back into the office. Oh. So, and I don't want someone to hear that and be like, oh, well, like that means that like her life is totally different because like, again, I have three very young children. So even on the calmest of days, things are quite chaotic. I think one thing that I've, Really learn, honestly, especially since launching the Substack, because it's one of those things where like the more you want to write about something or teach or educate, like the more you have to learn yourself is you can have really, you can make something that is extremely good and really well done and high quality and technically uses salt in the right ways and heat in the right ways. And it doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't have to have a lot of steps. It doesn't need to be complicated. So I've really been leaning into those recipes and I rely on them a lot i talk about roast chickens all the time, but I actually think it's one of like the easiest things to do. Like you have a lot of meat that comes out of it. And so like a minimal effort, high reward. But I think for everyone, it's a little different. I, right now I have a decent, like I have a little bit of time, a D not decent amount. a little bit of time where all three of my kids snap overlap. And so I right now I'm really focusing on recipes that like might actually take a few hours to cook a soup a roast chicken but I put them in right before I get the kids up and then I can just like be with my kids before we have dinner and so I think just being aware of where in your day do you have a little bit of time and what types of recipes work really well for that some things like like shrimp for example is like a great meat it's it's a cheap protein it cooks really quickly so you can have like there's a sheet pan fajita shrimp recipe that I make that I made on like a really busy day last week. And like from start to finish, it was like 25 minutes. The kids were all around me. But it. if you were more coming in from the office and you're not at home like I am, you're like, I need to get dinner on the table quick. Like A roast chicken is like definitely not where you want to start at the moment. But just knowing, okay, I need recipes that like can get done really well, really quickly. What are those? What are the types of meat? Or... So I think just having a sense for like where, again, where you have time in your day. I also think not being afraid to like, I think one thing that also took me a long time is like, okay, these recipes aren't working out. Like sometimes I think recipe developers are like, oh, this is a really easy weeknight meal. And I can't tell you how many recipes I come across. Like this is not an easy <laughs> weeknight meal. Like maybe mm-hmm. for you it is, but this is a Saturday night meal and I have like a ton of help. So I think for sometimes like those words that I see on like recipe developing websites, i like, they, it's easy to get caught up in them. Like, oh, this is a weeknight meal for someone else and it should be for me. So yeah, I think figuring that out Also, honestly, the one thing I've been thinking a lot about is, I think of cooking. I'm thinking of it, and I'm like, I'm like, been composing an essay in my head about thinking of cooking as a craft. And I think whenever you start a new craft, whatever that might be, you really have to be okay with failing. Mm -hmm. Like that, you just have to accept that's part of it. And I, because food is something we do every day, I think it's harder to think of it as a craft because, like, well, if I don't get dinner on the table on time, or it's not good, or it doesn't turn out, or it's burnt, or it's Mm -hmm. whatever it is. It's easy to just like feel really defeated and give up. But if you were to start any other craft, sewing, woodworking, you would like one, start very easy. Like you wouldn't like dive into the most complicated thing. You don't like start sewing silk, right? You start with cotton or something. And then you also, I think, expect failure. I think it's a little more, you're, that's par for the course if you're learning a new craft. But I'm, I'm projecting a bit, but I think just conversations with friends that I have, I, I think it's a little harder for people to think of cooking as a craft. And so, The idea of failure is like really daunting and really Mm -hmm. defeating. Anyway, so I've I've been trying to think of like an essay thinking of cooking as a craft, but then also embracing failure, which is just to say, to get to the point where you're like making the recipes that work really well with your schedule, um, you have to be willing to have nights where it doesn't come out perfectly. Or maybe you do reach like the frozen pizza because... I, a few weeks ago I made a roast chicken it took like an hour extra. and I was like, well, yeah. I guess fruit packets yeah. it is. Like, And it happens and it's upsetting, but it's, I'm like, now I know when I get a five pound chicken and the recipe calls for a four pound mm-hmm. chicken at right. extra time. Right.
0: I think that's really helpful because I think a lot of us, we just are like, great, I want to start cooking more. And you just like grab a recipe that like looks good to you and then try it one time. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that was way too much. And then you just go back to whatever sort of Easy meals you do or whatever. And we didn't really take the time beforehand to be like, okay, I only have this amount of time or maybe I'm rushed after work or I'm with the kids or like we just like don't think of these other elements that in our lives that are what make it possible to cook in a certain way or not cook in a certain way. Um, so I think that is really helpful. So maybe this would be a good time if you have any recipes off the top of your head, not like to go through the recipe, but yeah, just like, <laughs> we're going to spend an hour now. Where Rachel's going to listen, just walk <laughs> us through. Um, she's going to cook something on the air. It's going to be not that interesting to listen to. You'll hear a lot of sizzling and stuff. You can assume it's really good. Um, but like some recommended <clears throat> recipes and we can put links in the show notes if you have any that you'd maybe like to share.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'll just I can give like a little pitch for certain ones that I love and scenarios in which you would want to make them. I've talked about Molly Baz's pastrami roast chicken like a thousand times, and I will keep talking about it until I'm blue in the face because I truly think that it is. I just don't know how it gets easier than that. With and like it's phenomenal. I don't know if you can find a more perfect recipe. My brother, like I'm gonna poke fun at my brother, but like he texts me and he was like, "I what do, I'm making chicken that tastes like rubber. Like what do I do? I can't make chicken." I was like, "Hey, we're gonna start with Molly whole chicken." He was like, that's like a lot. And I was like, no, it's actually not. The most you're doing, it depends. Like take your pick. Do you think that salt or salting and like putting a rub on a chicken is more complicated or slicing an onion? Because those are the two most complicated things. It's ready in like an hour and a half. It tastes great. So that's where I feel like people should start. And that one comes together a little quicker than other roast chickens. The sheet pan shrimp, like that's not like my favorite recipe, but it is my, everyone in my family loves it. And you do need some recipes that are just like, this is really good. And again, like it comes together so quickly. I know what to do. It's cheap. Like again, shrimp, like I've been cooking a lot of shrimp recently. And I was like, why did I stop cooking shrimp? It is just like a very cheap protein. Do you
0: get frozen? Frozen and there's, shrimp? What do you get? Okay. I do
1: both. So when I made the fajitas last week, I just got a big bag uh-huh. of frozen shrimp from one. And then I actually made a recipe tonight that I didn't love, which was a little disappointing, but such is life. And I had some fresh okay. shrimp from that. So Honestly, like the frozen tastes better because I think the Mm. recipe was better. Like it was just flavored. It was like marinated in some spices and then you put it in the broiler so you get that like fajita sizzle and it was great. The other one that I think is really the three that I would pitch (laughs) I think her name, I think you pronounce it Liddy Huke. I could be saying that wrong. I've also linked to this in the Substack, but it uses a jar of, I also might be mispronouncing this, but Rao's Marinara or Arbiata Marinara. So it's like kind of spicy. So you shortcut the pasta sauce and it's got sausage. It's again, it's like another one I gave to my brother. I was like, <laughs> you can do this. He was like, I think I can do this without the recipe. And I was like, well, let's start <laughs> slow. get too confident. And this is like not really a recipe, but yeah. let's still look at it. So yeah, those, I can link to those. I think- they all go quickly and they're all high reward, low effort, high reward recipes, which is I think where you yeah, want to start. Yeah, that's great.
0: So do the kid do, do the, the kids, kids are- like I know you you've instituted family dinner first of all. How that how is that going? We try to do it uh with varying degrees <laughs> of success, but I do like it as a concept and I think you did something similar to what we used to do, which is that we would often do something for the kids and then have like adult dinner after they went to bed which can be nice to do also but the kids also started going to bed later and also just it just got to the point where we were like you know that especially as you know our older daughter's getting older and stuff we want to be sitting down and eating together as a family so I do believe in that so how is it going and also do the kids eat what you cook for like all these fancy sounding recipes do they eat it do they like it <laughs>
1: I would say it's going mostly well. I think the two things are suit breaking points where one, our kids are going to bed later, and then I was like starting dinner when they were going to bed. So we're like eating like, yep. at 9 p.m. I was like, this is not, this is not fun. And then by the time you finish eating, you don't have a nice dinner, it's like bedtime. And then our son, who's two, he just like doesn't have the best eating habits because when he was one and starting to like really eat like, like more whole foods for his meals rather than he was getting formula we had twin girls. And so it was just like throwing together pasta yeah. and Alfredo and just like leaving him at the table while we were managing. And so understandably, like he doesn't really have a routine around dinner. And so I think part of it was we need to establish a routine mm-hmm. with him because just his personality is very obstinate and stubborn. and like, oh, this is just going to mm-hmm. get worse. On the other hand, we're like looking into the future, like, or we can have two more children who don't yeah. have like good, like, I think it was just like having the twins come up instead of another one. It's looking into our lives six months from now, a year from now. If we don't institute some sort of routine, like we're mm-hmm. going to go crazy. So I think that was the main impetus, again, not wanting to eat late. But then I also just like want them to eat what we eat <laughs> as much as possible. I would say they mostly eat it. They have not been into fish. I've been making fish because I, I said on my newsletter last week that I'm going to start focusing on like how to cook fish because I love fish. My husband loves fish. I think it's really hard to cook well. And it, I don't think a lot of us were taught how to mm-hmm. cook fish well. And so I was like, why don't I do a deep dive on fish? And I'm super excited about it. And my kids are like, <laughs> very not. Two of the three are oh, like, no. what are you feeding us? So like, it's hit or miss. I think we, and then sometimes we're stricter than other times about, just depending on how crazy it is. Like sometimes we're like, okay, we tell our son he can get down from the table, but you can't eat anything else until you finish whatever we've identified. So it just depends. I, the hardest part is that I've had to like cut back on spice, which is really mm-hmm. difficult. And painful for me, but other than that, I'm mostly just making what I would make anyway. Here and there, again, like not making something that might be too far out there, and I just save those for the weekend. Maybe Saturday, my husband and I will do like a Mm -hmm. date night at home, and we'll give the kids pizza from one of our many New York pizza spots, and then have a fun meal that I know that they're not going to eat. So that's it's mostly working. We're getting there, but there's a lot of there's a lot of resistance, especially from our two year (laughs) old. which is yeah, that's a, yeah,
0: <laughs> two year old two year old introducing them to like fancy fish dishes. It's a brave world that you're embarking up here. <laughs> but I've always been actually surprised at how they go through phases. But like, my nearly three year old has always just like she likes a lot of things that I just would have has assumed that kids wouldn't like. And I think it's like you know. she just eats it. I don't know. She's just not a very picky eater, but I think that sometimes we get in our own heads. I have before where I'm like, Oh, I bet she won't like this. I should just like make sure there's some chicken nuggets or something. But much of the time she does. And I think that can also be, especially as kids get older and stuff about, creating that family culture of just like you're just like this is dinner we're included and like your kids might even surprise you and certainly my daughter loves to like help me cook and is all about it so she that can also be great again as kids get older to see the process of cooking too I think can be really valuable and potentially fun another slowdown I don't know if we're doing these already slow dishes if you involve like a three-year-old it may be even longer
1: Yeah. I, I am like pretty Mm. controlling with my cooking. So I wouldn't say I'm like the best, but I, I do try, but I'll like make up an (laughs) extra step. So like, okay, I got to chop cauliflower instead of just like, chopping it and putting it on the sheet pan. I'm like, Dominic, can you put it in the bowl? Which is like an <laughs> unnecessary step. But yes. I retain complete control, but he like thinks he's involved in it. Or we're, we're both
0: happy. Yeah, yeah that's, a I, like, that's a good idea. I like explaining things because to Because I let Jojo like salt something one time and <laughs> it's very salty. It <laughs> <laughs> was like, we were like, okay. And she like, dumped like the whole salt. We we're like, okay, let's like move that around. So yeah, that's good to do the invented yeah. stuff. He
1: does know what the salt is. I'm like,
0: yeah, yeah. mommy touches the that's salt. Dominic thing. does not yeah. touch the salt. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned her in uh, she was the first uh, recipe recommendation you gave I think so Molly Bats, you <laughs> yeah. you've re- you've referenced her a lot in your substack and I when I looked her up I was interested because she has a very similar background to you in some ways, because we haven't really talked about this yet, but you have an art history background. So she does too. She really fell in love with food in Italy and everything like that. So I'm sure that you relate to her on those levels. But what is it about her style of cooking, her approach to cooking that you have really enjoyed? And where would you recommend somebody start with exploring some of her recipes?
1: Yeah, no, yeah, we do have very similar backgrounds. That actually, like, I can get to that in a second. That wasn't, like, the first thing that drew me in. I actually have a really good friend, and she and I sometimes we get each other cookbooks for birthday gifts. And I had gotten her, My Boss's Cook This Book, which is her first cookbook, because she'd actually mentioned she wanted it. I, like, actually didn't know who My Boss was. And she sent me this recipe from the cookbook, and she's like, You have to make this. I was like, Okay, I made it. It was phenomenal. It was called her Golden Get Well Soup. Mm. And it's like, I was like, This is just, it was so simple. It was, like, flavorful. And I just, again, I could like use all the adjectives, but this is so embarrassing. So then I actually go to a, a store. I go to something like, I should look at the cookbook. And I didn't realize, cause I didn't know anything about my boss, that she uses a lot of abbreviations. Like she'll, so she'll say mots instead of mozzarella. So I was like, I was rushed. And I was like quickly looking through cook this book. And I was like, what are all these random <laughs> ingredients? Like I don't recognize any of these things this is not for me right now. And I like, it's so like, I could have been enjoying my Buzz's food months before I was. Cause I was like, "Nah, maybe this like golden get well soup is a one-off. I was truly like, what? like What, what is it? she
0: referencing? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what she's
1: referencing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe if I'd had a cookbook review, I'd have been like, yeah. oh, okay. So yeah, no, I put it back. Like I actually put a Molly buzz cookbook back and was like, yeah, no, not today. <laughs> and then I can't remember like at what point I just was like, looked her up again. I really, I think it was after I had, my son? It was, must have been after I'd had him. And then I found her. I think I was just looking for a new recipes. Sometimes I get tired of one particular. Like I, I make a lot of one person, so then I want something new or I need some more like whatever it might be. I was just, I wanted a new recipe. And so I think I was maybe just Googling. Anyway, long story short, found her club and there was a slow roasted salmon and I made it and I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like so, so phenomenal. And then from then on, I just was like, I need to make everything and I think what I impressed me about that recipe and what continues to impress me about her is like, she combines ingredients in a way that I think is like an art form. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I do think it is like, she's not just like reiterating something and like putting her spin on it. Like here and there, sure. Everyone does that. And I don't think there's a, that's a bad at all. But- a lot of her best dishes, it's like she's inventing and she's creating. And it's, I get excited not just to make her food, but I get excited to see mm. what she does. Like, what is, what's Molly Baz's club recipe going to be this week? And how is she going to like reinvent something or add this random ingredient into whatever, this new dish or not random, but like I wouldn't have put these things together and. See, I really feel like she treats cooking like an art form in a way that I just don't think other people do. And so I get excited, again, like I get excited for her dishes, not just to eat them, but to experience the sort of creative outlet in real time. So I, I again, I was falling in love with her food. And that was after I had the girls that I was, after I had my twin daughters and I was having like a, one of my many identity <laughs> crises, like, what am I going to do? Like now I've got three young kids. Like I'm, you know, I was always the, I've always been, even before I got married, like told my fiance the time husband now like I, I'm always going to need something outside of being a wife and a mom to be a happier wife and mom like I just I knew that even at the age of 24 that was important to me I pursued other things that didn't end up I thought were gonna be those things that ended up not being and again like was now I have three young kids I'm like in over my head I, I was We can talk, I'm happy to talk more about this, but I was in a PhD program for art history, which I I loved. I loved art history. I had a lot of difficult feelings about the PhD program. So I was like, okay, like what, I'm going to be leaving this PhD program, but now I have three young kids. I'm going to have no time to do anything. And like, that felt very overwhelming to me. Anyway, so my husband and all of his wisdom, because he's a great sounding board, was like, well, why don't you just give yourself the first five months, like give yourself like a quote unquote parental leave. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, don't worry about anything. Don't think about anything. Just let's adjust to life with three kids. And then at the five month mark, set aside some time and think about what you might want to do next. And I was like, okay, I can do that. Rather than getting all wrapped up in the midst of like postpartum emotions and trying (laughs) to figure out my life. So I think I like literally put something in my Google Calendar on what would have been like June
0: figure before. out life plan. Exactly,
1: <laughs> and I I don't listen to food podcasts. Like I listen to other podcasts, that I'm not a big. I feel like food. I want to make it. I don't want to like mm-hmm. listen to people talk about it. Like in terms I'm going to use like that as a promo for this
0: episode. By the way, I don't want I don't want to talk. Very, about- <laughs> yeah, sorry,
1: don't say.
0: <laughs> I don't want to hear people talk about food. <laughs> I don't want to talk
1: about. I don't. Yeah, I don't, as I was saying that I was like. But yeah, I don't like, I just, I like to enjoy people's food. I was like, I don't know. I just had never per- like looked into it. And so I think at this point, I was, I was like, I like food. I don't, I love, I don't like food. I love food. I love making food. Why don't I think about this? And I actually, you know, I actually had a food blog when we were first married. It was absolutely disastrous, which just goes into like having the wrong motivations for doing something. My motivations were not where they should have been. But I was like, I didn't love recipe developing. Granted, I didn't really know what I was doing. But I remember thinking like, okay, I love food. I spend so much time cooking. I spend so much time like doing stuff, like in the kitchen, making recipes. I share recipes with my friends all the time. Like I was like, I had like a folder that I was sharing with friends Mm -hmm. in New York, like make these things. Like, what do I, what do I do? Anyway, just like thinking. And I pulled up the taste podcast, I think. It's like, I'll just go to Molly Boz's episode. Like, why not? I like her stuff. I'm like getting to know her food style. And in this episode, she talks about going to Italy. She talks about being an undergrad, studying art history and going to Italy. And she's like, when I went to Italy, I just fell in love with food. And I had been considering pursuing a higher, more education, like going on with my degrees in art history, pursuing graduate work. But I just signed then there like, no, this is what I want to do. I'm happy that I pursued my art history degree. It's definitely been fulfilling in a lot of ways. But I remember in that moment thinking like, I wish I had that sort of like self-awareness because like I said at the beginning I actually have always been if you like you ask anyone who knows me in college my parents will when we first started dating like I've always like let me make you food that's just like always been my friends and I we did like Monday night dinners in college and I was like I'm gonna make Ina Garten go crusted salmon because that's what a college person does <laughs> I could have eaten you in our dorm room <laughs> not I could really have but... used
0: that. we were just like living on of pizza <laughs> we needed some help so
1: <laughs> yeah no it's and I think I just like, all it was like, all of a sudden, this sounds cheesy. But it was like my life flashed before my eyes. And I was like, how did I not see this? Like, how did I not go to Italy? Or why did someone, again, no, it's someone's fault. But, like, why didn't someone stop me and be like, Rachel, you cook obsessively all the time. This is you, like, are already putting your energy and effort here. Anyways, I think, yeah, again, just because our stories overlap so much, I, a part of me was like, I wish I had this realization early on. Could I have done something else? If I had thought, if I had been 22, 23, and I thought to myself, Like, oh, I can do what Molly Vaz did. And I went to like an event here in New York when her cookbook came out. And she was saying she was talking about this moment in her life. I realized that I could have like paid to go to culinary school and gone into debt to do that. Or I could get paid a very little bit of money and learn to cook in restaurants. And I was like, again, like another Mm -hmm. genius. Like I just was like, again, not like envious or jealous, but just like there was a part that was like, why didn't I have this self-realization? Because I feel like all of the pieces were Mm -hmm. there to make that jump. Anyway, so I think at that point, I was like, okay, this, I just got to start thinking about what I would like, what do I do in the cooking space? Like, I, I feel like there's a way to think about it. Again, my husband, great sounding board was like, well, you like, you read all these substacks and you listen to podcasts and you like the niche things. Like, like you listen to Katie's, you read Haley Stewart's, like going down the list, Claire Swinarski, like what is something that you would want to read or you would want to enjoy? Like, what is the content that like you want that's not out there? Anyway, thought with that for a while and came up with what I came up with, which is like, niche. I think the Molly Boz episode, the podcast episode that I listened to was that sort of catalyst moment where I was like, okay, like I'm much later in life than she was when she made this realization, but certainly like I can still pivot and it's still some cooking is still something that very much like defines me. And I thinking about it a lot. I'm thinking about it a lot now because I have a growing family. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, long story yeah. short. Um, yeah, I'm like, sometimes I worry, I'm like, do I want my life to know I exist or do I not? Because she might be like a little weirded out that I'm like, so like in love with everything she does. Or like, I also want to meet her. No. So
0: I, I, I think you want to meet her. I think that I, I'm sure she, had, I think you guys would have a lot to talk about, but this is like, I think this is such a good sort of, maybe for everybody listening to maybe like cooking isn't your thing, but just this idea of like figuring out our passions and figuring out how to pursue them amidst the chaos of life. And like, I certainly have had, we've all had those thoughts. I know older listeners will listen and be like, oh my goodness, you're so young or something. But when you turn like 30 and (laughs) you have kids and you have very like realistic, practical things to think about and you've made certain decisions, there are certain things that like we just, we can't do. Like, I can't be like, well, I just want to move to Tuscany. I've thought of that. But like, I can't (laughs) do that or like move to Scotland. I'm just not going to do that. Like we have... Small children. We have business. Like it's just not going to happen. So like there are certain decisions you make along the way that I think can make you feel at a certain point like boxed in, and you're like, well, I've discovered this, but it's too late. You know, it's like too late to do this. I I should have figured this out so much sooner. And I think it's really important to talk about that. Like it's not too late. It's always there's always a chance to do that, and that like there's so much joy that comes with. Just allowing yourself to love the things that you love and take them seriously. And yeah, so I wanted to, I'm going to embarrass you and quote you, yourself to you. <laughs> but there's a great post of yours that I'll link in the show notes. Of course, I'll link to Rachel's whole Substack, But this post in particular was one of my favorites when you uh, wrote about Van Gogh. And you t- it's like a spinoff of the who would you invite to dinner idea. And but you really used it as this chance to meditate on passion, art, commitment. So I'm just going to quote a little bit here of what you said. Um, and you start by talking about how, you know, Like, it's not too late. So you say, even though it's certainly not too late for me to commit myself to cooking in the way that Van Gogh committed himself to painting, it can be tempting to feel that way. I don't want to ask Van Gogh what my thing should be. I already know that. I want to ask him why. Why does he think so many of us, myself included, starve ourselves of the experiences that give us life? I'm not talking about jobs, but hobbies, interests, and activities we do in our free time. Why do we substitute what we love with things that are less personally fulfilling? Why has it taken me so long to realize that the thing I've been dedicating so much time to is in fact, the thing I should wholeheartedly dedicate my extra time and energy to with abandon. So I just, I love the whole thing. I love this part because this is really what we're talking about is like, is it like guilt? Like, what is it? Like, I don't know. We feel selfish or something. If it's like, we love something, there must be something that's too self-involved about it. Is that it? I don't know. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think this is definitely, I identify this problem for me as like very much something that's like generationally specific, but I don't think that means it is. And I guess what I'm saying is like, I was growing up, my late teens, early 20s, and I know you write a lot about this, and we've talked about a lot of this personally, like when Instagram and social media were really taking off. And so I was like thinking about what do I want to do with my life, this platform, Instagram in particular for me, uh, that was like telling me, or I was intuiting that like, if I don't get attention for something, or if I don't get accolades or likes, or like that, what I then what I'm pursuing is not worth it. And again, I don't think that's the only thing because I do think what I say in that essay is like, again, it does span generations and I but I think for me, and I'm sure other people like there was this big temptation that I absolutely fell into to really pursue things for the wrong reasons. And I think to have the wrong, for me, it was like the wrong sense of what like productivity is in the sense that like, you can be productive in a way that is fulfilling, but if you have the wrong end goal, i.e. like for me at the time, it was like, I just want like attention and I want people to know that I'm doing all of these things. And that, but it was like, again, like a, a misalignment of my priorities. So I think that was really what, for me, I think what was the sort of like when I should have gone left, I went right, so to speak, it was I like just, I started pursuing things and putting my time and energy into things that I thought would give me attention and then stopped doing the things that did give, that were really fulfilling or did things like that That food blog that I mentioned earlier, like, yeah, that was a cooking thing, but I absolutely, like, I think from the time I had the idea to the time that I launched was like five days because I was like, I just want to get on Instagram and start mm-hmm. doing it versus like taking the time to really think, like, what is my mission with this food blog at the time, it was really just to like, be a personality on mm-hmm. Instagram and not like, like, I would feel like I'm hope now that I have like a much different mission. And now I like really like if can't help but cook does well, like great. But if it doesn't, I, I love what I'm doing. And I feel like it's worth my time. And that is really fulfilling to me. But I think this is true, like, like, again, to like broaden out from cooking. Like, I think it's true of anything. My husband and I talk a lot about this with like reading, like we didn't used to read a lot. Because I think it just doesn't seem, I don't know, like you're being productive. Who's make, Who's giving me accolades or who's saying like, oh, good job, you've done this much. It's like, well, no one. You're just reading by yourself. Maybe you talk to friends about a book. But I, there is a sense that like, I just, I don't know. That was, I don't remember exactly what point that this happened. But I just realized like, I'm not spending my time doing the things that really make me happy. And then, there, yeah, but again, once you have kids, like you were saying, it's really easy to just be like, well, there's never mm-hmm. time and there isn't a lot of time, but I think I've come to realize you can find time. And the more you do the things that are fulfilling, but do them again, because they're fulfilling to you, not because they're going to get you anywhere. I just, has like been a big, like, like mental shift for me. Like I'm thinking about how I spend my time a lot Mm -hmm. differently. But yeah, I think, I was going to say that I think
0: also like, this isn't always the case. Like, it, it having kids does not like translate into you discovering this necessarily but i think for me having only those sort of margins of time was actually really helpful because i have so little free time that when i would use it in a way that was not fulfilling to me or was for the wrong reasons or whatever like social media is a great example as everyone knows i talk too much about it. i write too much about, about like getting off social media it's a big problem for me. Like I I just it just was in my head too much. And like I would get so mad at myself if I only had like an hour in the evening and I had wanted to read a book or had meant to do something that I wanted to do. And I just like wasted it scrolling on Instagram. But it was like so just frustrating to me. And so it was such a clear because I don't get that hour back, you're like that might have been the one hour of the day that I, another human yeah. didn't need me. So like that was it. So for me, like the working in the margins, like really clarified that when I do things, like when I do things for Born of Wonder, when I get to have these kind of conversations, when I read, when I spend time with my husband and have conversations, when we talk, like that is life giving to me. I feel good about that time being used. So yeah, um, yeah, I think that.
1: Yeah. And I think we get into like, for me, and I, I think a lot of people are swayed. I think this is where like the whole, like when like a, the idea of like being too old comes into, like we get these sort of like feedback loops with ourselves, like these narratives that we start to tell ourselves, like, like you were just saying like, oh, and I've done this too. Like, oh, I wasted another night. That guess that just means I'm not going to be able to like, I'm not going to do it again tomorrow. And we start to tell ourselves these things that really like aren't true, but it's just so easy to like, again, to like write these narratives for ourselves. I can never find time to pursue a passion or I'm too old to start doing that. Or like, I should have done that early on. And I don't, I don't necessarily know like how it took me a while to get out of my head in that way. But I do think to your point, like a big tool that I used, I don't know if you've heard of the monk now it's like my, oh, it's the best. I do have to say I used to work for them, but so this is not a promo, but like I just was like so in love with them when they sent out a job thing. I was like, I'll, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. Like it's the best. I think like I wrote like a getting started blog for them, so I don't want like people to buy it and be like, oh, mm-hmm. she was promoting it. But I don't work for them anymore because I have three young kids. But I think that it's the, the man who runs it, Stephen Lawson, he's Catholic, and it's not like explicitly a Catholic planner, but it is like, it it uses like a Catholic sort of mindset. But anyway, but I think what, like, again, I've been using it for five years. I started right at the time we met actually. Is that, was that five Mm -hmm. years ago? Yeah. Whenever it was 2018. A long time ago. Yeah. I have like, I need to like get rid of them. I have like piles (laughs) of them, but (laughs) it talks a lot about like priorities and breaking down time into small Mm -hmm. bits. Like you're talking about, like and I have come to realize that I think, and when, especially when it comes to pursuing passions, like if you do something 15 minutes a day, and I know this, like, I, but people talk about this, but I think it's so true. Like you actually can get somewhere over a period of yeah. time. And anyway, the monk manual, like it talks about like priorities, like how do you prioritize your time? And if you don't, if you're not prioritizing your time, then like, however you prioritize your time is your priority is another way mm-hmm. to say it. And so I think that kind of helped me get out of my head personally, was just be like, okay, like I can start to focus on doing a little bit of writing here or reading a little bit here or like whatever it is might be for the Substack or other passions that I have, that I have is like, I don't know. I'm just like rambling at this point, but I do think what you were saying about when you actually have less time, there is a kind of a motivation to use that time really well. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that's actually been like, I think the reason why I like this sub, I have time to have quote unquote time to do the Substack stack now or the motivation is because, I I take advantage of the little bit of time I do have and I like really try to make the most of it and I'm like I enjoy what I'm doing so I'm driven to do Mm -hmm. that as well
0: Um, so so just like just one more thought on this topic is like do you have any advice I can give a little bit from, from my own experience too is like of the experience of walking away from something like the PhD program like something that you thought was the right thing and then it just like wasn't and then that sort of abyss of like okay so what now and then like how to you know just if somebody's like maybe in that situation where they're like you know what this isn't right and I don't know exactly what is but I need this is just I need to step away from that I mean because like I were like when we met like I was working at the public radio station I was getting a lot of attention there I was doing very well and then I just couldn't shake this feeling though I mean we wanted to start a family and stuff like that and so that was a big part of it but it was also like I just it's just not right and it wasn't that I didn't love audio or anything it just I think it did have to do with my motivations I could feel a certain being tugged in a certain way maybe that uh, wouldn't have been right and so I left the station and everybody was like, what is going on? And then like, I think when I had my daughter, people are like, okay, well, she left to go have a baby, but that wasn't really the reason that was part of it, but it wasn't. And yeah. then there was though, like this gap between when I left and then when I got pregnant almost a year. So that was like its own stress, but I was in a just existential crisis of like, what have I done? And like, how do I discover what I do? And I still remember when yeah. I discovered, decided to do Born of Wonder. And it was again, like, like how Will is so encouraging for you. Chris has encouraged me of like, you should just like, you love to write. You love doing this stuff. You should just start doing it. And it is just like one little thing at a time. But there is that I don't want people to leave something and then be like, why do I feel like I just made a huge mistake? And I'm like, I don't know what to do with my life. Like, yeah. how did you confront those feelings? And then how did you how do you feel like you're doing now, like leaning into those passions?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, so I feel like honestly, so I started the PhD program in 2018 and like back to like misaligned motivations. I I loved art history, but I think a, a big part of wanting to pursue the PhD, like a, a big part of it was like this desire to like be in an intellectual environment. I, I really like, now I get, enjoy that through reading and I, I help lead a book club, but I was like, I want to be in a room talking about great art. Like, that sounds great. And that was a very pure motivation. I think the idea of like getting a PhD from Hopkins was maybe the wrong motivation. It had like this prestige associated with it that I was like, well, I want that. Anyway, so I started the PhD program in 2018. As early as 2019, I was having doubts, which is obviously a sign. But I, and again, like this is when my husband comes in, we were like, I talked his ear (laughs) off like five years about it. but. I think we both knew, and I think I even knew this too, but he definitely like affirmed this. Like, we don't want to like you don't want to rush into anything. Like, I think it was, I was still like it's just like a hard transition. It's, academia is like not the easiest thing on you. Yeah. Like, you're certainly not your mental health or your physical health. So, anyway, all this to say, like, I definitely now looking back, I can see that unhappiness that I was starting to feel wasn't like that. I that was good to listen to that. I didn't act on it quite yet, but I was like aware of it, and I wasn't. Afraid to act on it, but I didn't, again, I didn't act on it right away. So I think listening to those doubts, I think the thing that I had a really hard time with wrestling with was like, I, like you were saying, I am afraid to walk away from something because it seems hard or it's getting hard. And I don't want to like look back and be like, oh, if I had just stuck Mm -hmm. it out a little longer, like it would have all worked out. The really watershed moment for me, <laughs> like I'm talking about all these things, but my husband and I, we read this book called Wanting, have you heard of it? By Luke Burgess.
0: Oh, I've definitely it's heard name. of the author, yeah. He's great.
1: He's also Catholic, but his book is like mm-hmm. broader than that. He's a super interesting background. Anyway, the book Wanting is, it's a very practical approach. to It's a practical thought, thought piece. I don't even know what you want to call it. It's a book, but on the philosophy of a Catholic philosopher named mm. Rene Girard, who basically just looked at like... Desires and like, how do we understand people's Mimetic desires? Desire. And Luke's book, Memetic Desire. Yeah. And like, we are often driven to want things based on what we see other people wanting, not really on what we want mm-hmm. ourselves. And his book is going, it's like thinking of that Luke's book is seeing that in very practical terms, which is, I think, why it really resonated with me. Like, it wasn't like a philosophical book, it was grounded in like his startup business. And now he's like a professor. And anyway, so I was, when I was reading that, I was like, I was very much confronted. It was like an uncomfortable confrontation with like, why do I want this PhD? Like, why am I holding hmm. on to it? Like, yes, there, I think there are some good desires in there. Like I said, but I think what I kept coming back to is everyone around me wants it because everyone else is in academia. Like, and am I wanting it because they want it. They want the prestige, they want the fellowships. And all of a sudden, like I'm wanting these things because other people want them. And, And then I just like sat with that for a while. It was very uncomfortable. But in at the back of that book, he talks about this thing called, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm like, I'm not trying to like sound like I'm promoting.
0: No, this is great. We love recommendations. But he talked. he
1: does talk. Okay. Okay. If this was like, truly like, this is why I don't regret I'm not going back. So it hopefully it helps. But he talks about this assessment called the M code assessment or motivation code assessment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's operates like a personality test, but it is not a personality test. Very, I want to be very clear on that, but it basically like the way that it works, you, anyway, I won't go through the process, but it helps you to understand what types of work motivate you. And there are like 25 different motivational sort of codes. And I think long story short, when I took that, the motivation, like my primary motivational code was to be like, to I'm motivated by completing projects, like I said at mm-hmm. the beginning, which I like in that moment, I was like, yeah, of course, like, and I think that explains why I did well in academia for a while, like term papers mm-hmm. are projects, comprehensive exams are projects. But I realized that like, expertise in a topic was not a top motivational code for me, which I really think should be if right. you're in academia, not to say that I like don't like to read or don't, I don't want to like pursue things intellectually, but like, I wasn't the type of kid. I wasn't the grad student who was like staying on D level, like three floors below ground level, like in my cubby, reading extra books that I didn't need to read. Like I was never, I was like, let's go out and like Mm -hmm. have a beer or something. That's
0: when we would meet up. And
1: I think it was just, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I'd be like, I'm going to go meet with my friend (laughs) Katie. You guys keep reading about the, yeah. (laughs) You guys read about Schartz Cathedral. I'm out. So I think that was, I think that was really that like, clarified something that i wasn't able to put into words which is that like i had pursued a phd for again a number of motivational a number of reasons but i think the big draw was that i liked the subject matter i liked medieval art history but i didn't really stop and think like okay what type of work is required of someone Mm -hmm. in academia and is am i motivated by that type of work and then once i realized like oh those two things are very incompatible like again i love art history I am not like naturally driven to excel in that environment, and that's I think where the friction. Mm. Again, looking back, like that's where the friction started. So long story, <laughs> very long story short, is that I think it's helpful to like figure out what motivates you. And that was just like I think about it all mm. the time. Like when I am willing to stay up late and do something, or I'm willing to like push, I'm I will do things that other people are like. Well, why would you do that? Like it makes no sense. It's often because of something that can be explained by like my motivational code again, which is to like really like complete projects. I'm a goal oriented person. So I I guess I I won't doubt. I won't like, I don't feel, I think that's one of the main reasons I won't feel, I won't like doubt or like regret leaving. And then also like just feeling a little more balanced. Like I feel like I have time to do other things. This is like tangential, but like, I just like, like, I really like Mm -hmm. my life right now. I have time with my kids. I have time with my husband. I have time to read. Like my life just feels very full without feeling stressed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are daily stresses of like kids (laughs) screaming at me. But yeah, I think just like also it's fulfilling in a way that it's harder than academia ever was, but I'm also happier than I ever was in academia. And that is also like very telling. Yeah. So sorry. That was like a long time for me. No, that's such great advice.
0: I think it's a good tie in thread as we wrap up our conversation, because this goes back to even like your advice about starting to take up cooking is like to be honest about the type of person you are and the type of life you have and to just like be okay with that and to pursue things based on that. Don't try a recipe that you're going to hate making or that you just don't have the time to. And I think being equally honest about well this like sounds good in theory but I'm just totally not motivated by that or that is not enjoyable to me (laughs) is like it's it sounds so simple but it is hard to do because we probably human beings have always been like this but I do think in a social media generally saturated society we are such mimics these days we're like so and we want to be accepted and we want to get attention and it's totally understandable but it does require a lot of active self-reflection or else you're going to end up in places that you don't want to be and that you're going to wake up someday and be like, why am I doing this? I don't (laughs) like this at all. So I think this is great encouragement. And so this sort of, uh, the many ideas we've talked about today are a great preview of the sort of things that you can read on Rachel Substack but mostly she has just amazing recipes very inspiring she does these very intense and like the best cook, cook <laughs> best cookbook reviews you will ever need to read like if you need to know if you're going to read this cookbook because what's your uh, rule you make at least half the recipes right before you'll review the cookbook is that the idea?
1: Before I read a full yeah. cookbook, yeah. I'm going to start coming out with some okay. mini ones. But yeah, the, for before I, f- I write a full cookbook review, I feel like you need to make a lot. I feel like you can't judge a cookbook by a few That's recipes. Totally fair. And In terms of like really digging into it. So even the small ones, I'm probably going to make like 10. But to really give someone like a guide, like not just like should you buy this, but like then when you do mm-hmm. buy it, like – Does mean you make every recipe in it, and so like, how do you work through it? Yeah. Um, So yeah, fifty percent of the recipes before I
0: write the review. So so is Substack the the best place to connect with you, right, for anybody who wants to follow along with what you're doing?
1: Yeah, I do have an Instagram, but on I'm not active on it. I actually like, I'll literally just post when I whenever I post a review on Substack, I post on Instagram. But I even had to like delete Instagram from my phone again, so. I truly, like, it's there because I have to, like, food people live on Instagram, but I... Like I wouldn't expect updates. Like I wouldn't expect So it it's end,
0: there. It's um, there. From yeah. me there. So, but yeah, Substack is yeah. the one. Okay, it's so nice. I will be putting a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, it was just so nice. I know this is like sometimes what I love most about doing these interviews for Born and Wonder is it's the only way that I get to chat with friends that I haven't chatted with in a while. So it was really a pleasure <laughs> to get to to talk with you for an hour here. I really had a good time. Thank you so much, Rachel, for taking the time to talk with me.
1: Of course. Thank you, Katie. it was great to, I feel like we talk a lot, but it like via text, but it's always nice (laughs) to see someone's face and like catch up in in person, so to speak, hopefully actually in person soon.
0: I hope you enjoyed that chat with Rachel Remes. I had so much fun. She is such a lovely person and I think there's so much wisdom there, so much insight into how to pursue an authentic, passionate life that um, embraces the things that we love, the things that we are good at, how can we serve our families and also be fulfilled ourselves as whole people. I think there's just so much uh, there to think about. So I want to thank Rachel again for taking the time amidst her truly very busy life to chat with me. I hope that you will will head on over to substack and check out her writing it's just great uh so make sure you look at the show notes for all the links um, from things that we discussed in the episode and also for those great recipes so and as always you can find me online at bornofwonder.com um or substack of course um, head on over there follow along uh, just came out with a series for paid subscribers another bibliophilia um series all about Lenten reads this time. So you can go check that out. Have a lot of essays that came out this month. I have a great interview coming up next week. Uh, another great guest. So stay tuned. If you have time to leave a, um, a star rating on Spotify or a comment and star rating on iTunes, I so appreciate it, it is the number one way that podcasts get seen and known and shared is for um, the people who listen and the people who like it to uh, to rate it and to share it. So I so appreciate that. So uh, thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Katie Marquette, and this is Born of Wonder.
1: And here there is something more than just a transient experience.
0: It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's the mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing.